Two games this week to look at. We'll start with a 2-0 win over Accrington Stanley. Josh Hayward was happy with the changes that Dave Artel made before the game. He wasn't alone. Danny Phillips, Andrew Copeland and Tom Mayle all singled Donovan Daniels out for praise and the surprise that Crew now possess a long thrower in the team. Another new-ish addition getting praised was Nathan Wood. Ollie Dean thought he looked far more experienced than he is and Eddie O'Grady thought his partnership with Beckles was outstanding. Sticking with Beckles, scoring his first goal for Crew was a highlight for Jonathan Ditt. And one more player that stood out was Holmes Chapel's own Tommy Lowry with H. Robinson and Luke Bevington singling him out for praise. Mixed reaction on Accrington Stanley though. Steve B thought they looked very, very good first half. Alex Smith was pleased to see Crew pull it together against a team that can get in your face. And Trevor Griffiths thinks they make you work hard for any win. Whereas Max Bailey concluded they weren't as good as he had expected. The most common theme though, was about the good professional performance from the Alex, with Adam, Ant Copeland, Keith and Steve Day all using words to that effect. Lastly, Tim Green thought that the game was the perfect advert for League One football. Saturday then saw Sunderland come to Gresty Road and the reaction was mixed. Mark Bertels would have taken a point at 3pm but crew were well worth a win. Brad agreeing, saying that was more heartbreaking than the Rochdale game. Steam was mentioned a couple of times, with Graham Miles and Ben Benson mentioning that Crew ran out of it, with Ben saying it led to the silly errors at the end of the game. Will Barnes and David both made the point that it shows how far the team has gone to be disappointed drawing at home to Sunderland, and Jack Jones says the result shouldn't overshadow a magnificent performance. Alexandra6077 said that the subs made the difference, with Matt Darlington asking Dave Artell to please make more crew subs. Rich Hassel thinks every time he's starting to think about the playoffs, it gets taken away from him, with Mark Gardner's mullet suggesting it's going to be a season of what might have been. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. There's a couple of ways of thinking about this week's games. Four points from six from the two teams in the playoff places. Or another case might be two more points dropped in the 96th minute with the game on Saturday. To decide which side of the fence we should be sat on, I've got our panel for today. First, we'll start with Russ Fern. Hi, Russ. Hi, Stu. Next, we have Tim Robinson. Hi, Tim. Afternoon. And finally, Aaron Lewis. Hi, Aaron. Hello. We'll start, as seems the right thing to do, with Tuesday night's game at home to Accrington Stanley. Aaron, I'll start with you. A little bit of a different formation, different players, Porter and Mandron lining up alongside each other for the first time. Were you surprised? Were you happy to see that? What was your thoughts? Uh, Very surprised was my first reaction when I saw it. Um, I don't feel like it's very often you do see a traditional 4-4-2, which... We did start with, but then did change as the game went on. Um, it, it wasn't something I, was, I think I was particularly clamouring for, but I couldn't really argue with the results by the end of it. I thought it worked quite well. Do you think we started with a traditional 4-4-2? Because I thought we started with a diamond. Yeah, I suppose rather than two banks of four as such, I think it was a bit more of a diamond because we were very narrow. You could see Kirk was pulling in and, and playing sort of a central role, especially in that first half, and then more in the... I think towards the end of the first half and the second half, you could see he was 
moving out to that sort of traditional left wing sort of flank where he where he moved into, um, which we've seen him playing all year and and years gone by as well. Yeah, that allowed Tommy to push up on the right a little bit more as well, which I think got quite a lot of positives from him there. The other person we should probably mention starting was Donovan Daniels. Tim, happy to see him back in the team. Feel a bit for Travis. He seems to be anyone but Travis at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I thought after the own goal at Swindon, he might have given him um, a chance to uh, make amends. Um, I don't think he's necessarily, other than that, done anything wrong. Um, but I was um, I was very impressed with uh, with Donovan Daniels. Obviously, no relation to the late Paul. Um, I thought he had an absolute blinder, <laughs> both defensively and getting forwards. Superb display from him. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Is he not related? No. <laughs> I can't I've believe checked, that. I've checked, I've checked it out. He's definitely yeah. not. Let's move on. It doesn't deserve that much time. Uh, Russ, first 20 minutes or so, were you a little bit worried about where it was heading? They started off much better, didn't they, Atkinson Stanley? Definitely, yeah. They started They started well. They're in our faces. I've, I've written down at the time, I wrote hectic and chaotic down. I thought it was a very fast-paced game. We weren't, we weren't necessarily passing the ball around very well. It looked like, it, to be fair, it was. And it did look like the fact we were starting with a formation that we haven't played in the last four years. And I think that showed. And Accrington also sort of seemed like they didn't necessarily know what to do with us playing two target men up top as well. That being said, they did. They did. You are right. They did start the better of the two teams. You've just said there, um, they were in our faces. Um, Aaron, they don't make it easy to like them as an opposition fan, do they, Accrington Stanley? No, definitely not. Um, it's something that I, because when we played at their place earlier on in the season, I watched that game, but I had the Accrington commentary on. And there was a lot of, there was, they had one of their players who had been suspended at the time was on the commentary as well. And it was very much of the comments of, oh, we need to get in there and we need to get amongst them. And it was basically just saying, just kick us off the field. And that very much felt a little bit more like how they planned to play against us full stop. I mean, there's one guy, Michael Hughes, he's probably the least favourite player I've ever seen this, well, ever is a strong word, but probably the least favourite player I've seen this season. Uh, Tim, I don't know if you picked him out or anyone else that sort of annoyed you or irked you during that game. I didn't get really particularly wound up by Accrington because it was exactly what I was expecting from them. And Dave Artell made reference to the fact that we had to match them for work rate. And I think the other thing, we, we had to win the battle to play our football. And I think the first 25 minutes, we kind of laid the platform by winning the battle. And then once we'd won that, it was one-way traffic. Um, so, I mean, it was it was exactly what I was expecting from them. But what I wasn't sure was how we'd deal with it. Um, and I have to say, I was extremely impressed with how we did. So, yeah, you, we won the battle um, and then the goal came. It wasn't really a goal I was expecting to see crew score, that's for certain. Certainly wasn't a goal scorer I was expecting to score that day either. Um, but Russ, Omar Beckles, when it came, nice for him to get off the mark. Composed, I thought as well. Nice side-footed finish into it. I think he took a little deflection as it went in, but and it was fortunate how it fell to him. But I think a different player might swing for that and uh, pull it over the bar or something. You're not suggesting Ollie Finney there, surely, Russ? I'll suggest him, uh, Mika Mandron, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think um, Mandron deserves a bit of credit for that goal. Um, I thought it was their defender that kind of scuffed it to Beckles at first. It was only when I saw the opposite camera angle that I realised that actually it was brilliant work by Manjon to lay it back for Beckles. 
Fair enough. I think if there's one thing the pod needs to make clear after the week that he's just had, it's that we don't all think that he should walk home without his shoes taken off <laughs> him, uh, after last week's performance at Swindon. <laughs> Uh, but we'll get on to that later, I think, when we talk about the Sunderland game. Red card, I can't imagine we're in any doubts, the uh, guys, with that. Uh, Aaron, fairly straightforward decision for the ref. Yeah, you can't really argue with that, I don't think. Um, pretty cut and dried. And for saying they are a team that like to sort of complain and get in the referee's face, they didn't really complain about that one too much, did they? It was sort of, it was fairly accepted that he was through on goal. He was... I think even they realised they didn't really have a leg to stand on for that one. No, and neither did Charlie Kirk. But well, no. <laughs> I, I was still a little bit surprised that the referee pulled out the red card. Though. I mean, how often do you see them bottle that and just kind of go for the halfway out of a yellow? Um, mm. it, it, at this level, certainly. Um, so, well done to the ref. It was the right decision. And it was a, it, it was a brilliant run from Kirk. Yeah. And then the second half I wrote down, it wasn't really in any doubt apart from... It seemed to be we were making our own problems with the goal kicks and our own lack of communication. The wind was blowing that way. The ball was going all the way from their keeper into our box. Dave Richards didn't seem to be dealing with it. The two centre-backs didn't really seem to know what was going on. Did it feel that way to anyone else? Or am I just wrong with that one? I think they really gambled. They could have just sort of accepted a, a narrow defeat and sat back. But they did push men forwards. They did go for it. And it left big spaces at the back for us I didn't ever really feel like they were going to score although Richards did make me a little bit nervous a couple of times um, I, I certainly felt all the way through if there was another goal coming it was us there was that, that free kick or a cross in wasn't there and he, then he was on his goal line or a corner it might have been and then drops it and then somehow not gone in and that was ridiculous stuff yeah that was the one wasn't it where he dropped I think was it a free kick I think and he had you can blame the wind, maybe, but you've got to be protecting yourself there as a goalie when you know the conditions are like that. I noticed John Coleman after the game. I thought his interview was really good, actually. He just sort of said, fair play to crew. They were the better team. They deserved the win. But one thing he said was the difference between the two teams was that when their goalkeeper dropped one, we put it away. And when our goalkeeper dropped one, they fluffed their lines. And then the last thing I've got for Atkinson Stanley, Tim, I don't know whether you want to do this now because I just wrote down on Tuesday night after the game, Tim, Chris Porter, discuss. Do you want to do that now or should we wait until the uh, the Sunderland game? Um, well, I think the thing is with, with Porter, he was getting a lot of flack, on, in my eyes, for very little evidence. Um, people were assuming that because he was 37 and he obviously isn't as mobile as Mandron, that his game's gone. But his game has always been finishing chances in the six-yard box and we've seen two pretty good examples of it um, in the last two games. Tim, does uh, does Miss, Mrs. Robinson know about your love affair? <laughs> my love affair with Chris Porter is exactly the same as my love affair with all other players that pull on the scarlet jersey. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the the red of the Robin's dress, as I've learned this weekend. <laughs> yeah, every day is a school day. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, let's talk about that. I had no idea that crew were called the Robins in the fifties and sixties. It makes sense. It's the same sort of colour red as Swindon and Cheltenham who are, and Bristol City are also the Robins. But the other one is the blood tubs. I don't know if that's anything anyone's heard before. It's, that's the worst nickname I've ever heard in my life, isn't it? I can see why we've changed off it. <laughs> David, can I bring you in here as, you know, a self-confessed older fan? Uh, hey, steady blood... on. Not that old. <laughs> that's why I said self-confessed, David. <laughs> okay. 
blood tubs? Is that something you're familiar with? Never heard of the blood tubs, but I must admit I had heard of the robins. I've got somewhere at the back of the cupboard, probably at my mum's, she's probably still got it. There was a card game when I was a kid, probably made in about the 1950s, and it had all the football league teams and their nicknames on it. And I remember at the time looking for crew, obviously the first team you look for, and uh, yeah, nickname of the Robins and the Railway Men. So um, yeah, I, I must admit I've never used that myself, but it wasn't a complete surprise when Graham McGarry tweeted it. I genuinely thought it was a mistake because we played Swindon last week and he copied and pasted it from last week's tweet into this week's, and it, we were away at Swindon. So Robin, <laughs> genuinely, that's what I thought he'd done. Um, but I much prefer the Railway Men. Yeah. Me- and while we're on the subject, this is my pet hate with our nickname. I've got no problem with us being referred to as the Alex, but I hate it when people just call us Alex, like we're a person called Alex. <laughs> and it, you can get away with that with some teams. Like you can say Argyle for Plymouth rather than the Argyle, but it just doesn't work with crew. We're either the Railwaymen or the Alex. We're not Alex. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to jump on that soapbox with you, Tim. I agree with that. Yeah, I think um, I'll chip in with that one as well. Can't see a uh, change to the name of the podcast coming up there, Stu. No, we will not be the Blood Tubs, I feel like. <laughs> we might get Alfred Hitchcock fans uh, watching, uh, listening to us, uh, thinking we're some sort of like the movie Psycho or something like that. Right, let's move on to the Sunderland game then. Um, we just talked about Chris Porter. Was it a surprise after not really seeing him much this season to see him get two runs out in a week? Uh, Russ, were you surprised we went with the same team? Yes, couldn't believe it, to be honest. I thought I thought it'd be a, a harder game than Accrington, so I thought we'd be on the back foot a bit more. So I thought we'd maybe go back to having two wingers with Owen Dale on the pitch to give us a bit more pace in the counter-attack. Um, but clearly, Mr Artel disagrees with me. Um, we can't all be like Alex and predicting the entire future of the club. Um, but it worked. It was good. It, the hold-up play between them was very good, and Mandron works really well off Porter as well, surprisingly. Um, so, uh, to be fair, I think it, it was quite a, a masterstroke to play Porter in that game as well. And, uh, Aaron, it was quite different to the Stanley game in the fact that for the first 20 minutes, there was only one team in it, and this time it was crew, wasn't it? Yeah, it did sort of uh, flip the script a little bit, and we, we definitely were on the, on the uh, offensive rack from the off. I wonder if it's a little bit like uh, sort of Russ was saying before, where in the first game it looked very much as though this new system was quite alien to us. And then we've gone into it in the second game and we're all a little bit more used to it maybe. And uh, and so we're just, the, the wheels were turning straight away with them. And then I've got here for the first goal, Tim, Chris Porter, discuss. <laughs> um. Yeah, it was the ball from Pickering, I think, inside to Wintle. Um, and Wintle, Wintle played a lovely ball into the channel between the centre-half and the full-back, uh, where Mandron had, had he, he turned his man, spun his man, um, and, and put it on a plate for Johnny on the spot, Porter. It was um, a, a lovely crew goal. It was that sort of combining up between the strikers that I think had to happen, and if it didn't happen between them two that would have been a problem because if you start two target men, then you're very one-dimensional. But with Mandron being able to run in behind and like he did against um, Swindon and then he did for both the Swindon go- uh, the Sunderland goals, um, it added a new dimension to what maybe Sunderland expected from him. It's something I think that, going back to you know Tim's point before about people getting on Porter a little bit, 
I think maybe he felt a little bit isolated when we were playing one up top. And now if you've got the work rate of Mandron as well with there, obviously he's still got that brilliant eye for goal. He can still finish. So maybe that's sort of the best, getting the best out of the two of them is by playing them both. Yeah. So as Russ said just then, uh, Russ, I'll come back to you. Um, Mika Mandron, two assists in this game. Uh, the second one with Tommy Lowry coming up with the second. I don't know if you agree, but as soon as he sort of took that on his right foot, I thought, oh, this is going out for a goal. He's going to scuff this off for a goal kick or something. But no, lovely cross with his right foot into Tommy Lowry. He's quite quite a clumsy player, Mandron, at times, but he did really well to get to the byline and then pull that lovely cross back. And it was almost, in a way, a carbon copy of what we saw at Swindon, where, where Mandron's made the space down the right and then pulled it back. And when Tommy Lowry's in that position, you just you just expect a goal at this point, don't you, really? Lovely right foot, little, little, almost a little dink on it, but not too much of a dink. Low, but off the ground, hard, really hard to save. So at that point, I thought 2-0, very nice. Yeah, so Tommy Lowry, two goals in three games. Uh, someone who definitely caught my eye, and Tim, I know you agree with this because we've spoke about it. Um, Luke Murphy, really come on, really sort of um, excelled the last week or two. I think the whole of the middle three were the only sort of positive to come out of the Swindon game and then they've just carried on into this week, haven't they? Yeah, they were, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say they were the only positive from the Swindon game, but they, they were certainly fantastic against Sunderland. I, I just lost count of the number of 50-50s, the three of them, especially Murphy won. Yeah, my comment to you was, imagine how good he'd have been in 2013 when he could tackle like this, but he could still run. Um, he was just absolutely phenomenal. He, he his, his passing was maybe slightly inconsistent, but the amount of times he, he won the ball back from them was... Um, I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a crew player since probably Dave Brammer win the ball back for us so many times in a single game. He was absolutely superb. It was a great display from him. It, it gives a lot of hope for when if when Wintour leaves in the summer that Murphy can play that deep cent- central role as well, if he's got that combative side to him. I think uh, I think Pete Morse summed it up best on commentary when he said that we'd already sold him once for a million. If you play the way he's playing it at the minute, you feel like he could sell him again. Yeah, I think with the exodus that I think we're all expecting in the uh, in the summer, I hope that no one does come in for Luke Murphy again. Because as Rush just said, I think we might be a bit short in the, that position next season. Um, second half then, not quite as good. I think it goes without saying. Sunderland are always going to respond, aren't they? 2-0 down. And uh, I think that's the first time I've ever seen an, uh, a quadruple substitution. Uh, anyone else remind, remind me of any occasion when that might have happened? Not in a competitive game. We probably should mention their goals. I don't really like to spend too much time talking about opposition goals. But they were quite good, weren't they, Russ? Just a little bit. Just a little bit good, weren't they? They'll be on the uh, goal of the season highlights at the end of the, at the, end of the year. Uh, Jordan Jones on that on that left wing, you know, I was talking to a Sunderland fan who, who sort of was annoyed at the fact that Dave Artel's going on about the size of the clubs. But the point is, if we've got Owen Dale, who's a good player, but it's still Owen Dale and Stephen Walker on the bench, they've got Jordan Jones coming on for Aidan McGeady. And it's different, it's different universes, isn't it really? Jordan Jones is a class player and he's a, he showed that with his with his goal. And then Chris Maguire was was very special. How how they didn't get on the any uh, on the end of any of his free kicks, which were very dangerous, was uh was a bit weird. But um that that goal, I've seen people criticize Dave Richards. I've seen critici- people criticize uh, Pickering. 
which both are fairly valid, I guess, maybe not on Richards, but when, when a player hits it that sweetly, there's not much anyone can do about it. Okay. Whilst you're talking about Richards there, I have a question for the three of you, and you can tell me to be quiet, and I'm an idiot if you want, but I'd like an answer. The first half, crew kick off, uh, attacking the railway end. The second half, knowing where the sun is in the sky, every Saturday at four o'clock, they attack the Gresty Road end. Graham McGarry made quite a few points about the fact that Dave Richards needed a cap or something to stop the sun getting into his eyes. Are we really stupid and do we attack the wrong end at the wrong half on a Saturday? I mean, we might, we might not have won the toss. We might have lost the toss and Sunderland decided which end to attack. But... But we always attack the Gresty Road end second half if we win the toss. And the sun was out for the entire 90 minutes, was it not? Yeah, but it, yeah, but it, it was lower in the second half and it would have been coming more or less directly at the goalkeeper. Right. I mean, it, I think it would still have played a part in the first half as well, though. Is it a case okay. of you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be chasing the game, needing a goal in the 90th minute, and your attackers can't see then? In you, I don't <laughs> you know. They're facing the other way, Aaron. If they're trying to score, you'd hope. Well, well in theory, yeah. I um, hope they're facing the goal when they're trying to score, though. Yeah, shooting well, the wrong way, otherwise. Opposite the sun, Russ. That's the point. Um, okay. Well, anyway, it was just a thought I had that maybe we're doing that wrong. I know I get it when fans are in; they want to attack the Gresty Road end because that's where the noise comes from, but whilst fans aren't in, possibly we could have a little rethink about that. I don't know. Another person then who may take some blame, you just mentioned Richard, you just mentioned Pickering, um, Dave Artell, should he be making changes? You know, we're in the middle of another massive spell, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. We've made one change, Owen Dale, quite late on. Should there have been more? Should they have come earlier? Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I, I thought there were signs that a couple of the players were tiring. I thought Daniels looked fatigued and you know, there was a bit of inconsistency in the selection anyway, I thought, because when we signed Billy Jones, he played his first game and he hadn't played all season. And then um, Artel rested him and played um, Travis Johnson. And the reasoning that he gave was he didn't want him playing two ninety minutes in three days after being out for so long. So it surprised me and um, a few others, I think, Russ, that... Um, he didn't pick Travis Johnson in the first place. But yeah, 60, 70 minutes, you could see that Daniels was was getting tired. And he'd made a lot of runs. There was that move in the second half where, I mean, I think every outfield player touched it in the move and it ended up with Daniels hitting the post or crossing it from the byline and being given offside. It was a it was a fantastic move, but he'd done that two or three times. And you could see each time he got up there, he was, he was getting tired and tired and his decision-making was becoming a little bit more... Um, fatigued I think um, and then he got skinned by Jones a couple of times when he came on and you thought right now is the time to make a change so yeah I, I do think maybe five ten minutes after they made their quadruple substitution where you could see that they were suddenly starting to win the arm wrestle that was the time to uh, make two or three changes with about 20 minutes to go maybe okay Aaron I'm going to ask you the exact opposite question the players are on the pitch. They know they're winning 2-1. Do they need to take some of the blame for not seeing out another win uh, and just, you know, 96th minute out of 97 or whatever, out of 99 rather, should they not be focusing on not conceding a goal like that? Um, I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, yeah, we should have defended that a lot easier. But at the end of the day, I think it's a little bit like to what Tim said and not just Daniels, but I think there was a couple of other players as well that perhaps 
you know, we've been run, run ragged a little bit. And then, you know, it's it's not a sort of high percentage chance as well when they're taking it from outside the box like that. So it maybe caught us a little bit napping, I think, at the back, a little bit tired legs. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know really. Don't really want to put too much blame on the on the individual players on that one. I don't know if you can criticise that exact phase, but I think you can definitely criticise them for how they managed that last nine minutes. I think we had a few free kicks, goal kicks, and just aimless long ball passes that went straight back to Sunderland men, where really we need to keep the ball a bit more, get it in the corners. We've got, I mean, Donovan Daniels could get down to the corner and then brute off anyone and and get it out with his body language, did Graham say? Down to, <laughs> down to the station. But um, yeah, I think... I think not necessarily that phase that their goal came from, but the whole nine minutes, I thought we were pretty naive. Everything from their first goal onwards, I think you could probably say that. Yeah, definitely, to be fair. Immediately after the game, that was as gutted as I've been all season that we didn't win. Um, You know, the games against teams like Sunderland are the ones where you kind of make the reputation of your club. And we didn't turn up at all at the Stadium of Light. And I was desperate for us to show up and I thought for 70 minutes we were absolutely brilliant and then those two late goals were just absolute gut punches and um with a bit of um with a bit of reflection now a bit of time's gone past I'm I'm just I'm more proud of the way we played than gutted about the result I'm still gutted about the result but on another day those two goals that they scored end up on the railway and we win 2-0. Do you think Tim that if um I suppose not really you actually because you're saying you were really good and for me it kind of it, Washed over me as a disappointment, but it was a little bit of a, okay, you know, I've, I've been here before. Um, I feel like if I'd have actually been at the game, though, I would have been broken by it, really. I think that possibly makes me feel like it was a little bit less of a disappointment by just being on my set. I definitely would have had wanted to have been there more if we'd have held on for the win. At, at 2-0, I was, I was absolutely gutted that I hadn't been there. Uh you know, I was thinking, what what a celebration this would be if we'd been in the ground beating Sunderland. Um, and yeah, I suppose the disappointment is tempered a little bit by having watched it on TV um, rather than being there. But I think, bizarrely, that was one of the games I kind of got most into this season. There's been ones that have kind of washed over me. Um, when Lowry almost scored that goal at 2-0, it nearly put us 3-0 up. I was across the room, more already celebrating. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a watered-down form of watching the games isn't it I follow no matter how good the commentary is yeah well yeah I mean you basically answered the question I was going to ask to finish this section before I've asked it so I'll just go to Russ there was you know I'd say a split on uh, online yesterday from the messages I was getting and I was seeing uh, people saying great performance other people saying good we've thrown it away it's a day later what what's your take now you've had a bit of time to think about it all of it everything Gutted, absolutely gutted. Um, it's it's horrible losing a tune, uh, well, drawing when you're tuning up anyway. But then, in the amount of like, credibility it would have got to beat Sunderland two 0 is great. Um, as the guy said, if you were if we were there as well, it would have been incredible. But we were very good against a squad that is also very good, even though they didn't play too great. So there's a lot of positives to take from it, and I think. The fact that they took two absolute worldies to beat us, to draw with us, gives a little bit of heart. Gives it like a little bit of. It hurts less that they weren't just scrappy goals from our mistakes necessarily. They were two 
top class goals that they had to score. Yeah, I did say I'd finished this section, but I've got one more question. I mean, it's results like that that basically sum up why we'll finish mid-table this season, isn't it? Yeah, that Rochdale. Ipswich, Gillingham. Ipswich, Gillingham, Blackpool. Swindon. The list is quite long. The games we should have won, which we haven't won. Yeah, um, but that's that's where we are, I guess. Okay, so that's this week's two games reviewed. Next, we'll be looking at the two games coming up this week. Firstly, then, we've got a little trip to the seaside on Tuesday to play Blackpool. I remember when we played Blackpool back in, I think it was October, we had the guys on from the Up the Mighty Pool podcast on, and they didn't seem to be very happy with the team. They didn't seem to be happy with the uh, with Neil Critchley. They didn't really rate him. Then the Gresty Road get, or the game at Gresty Road happened, and they were pretty good, weren't they? I thought they were pretty good value for their 1-1 draw. Tim, I don't know if you agree with me there. I thought that was one of our poorer home performances of the season. Um, I thought we were pretty lucky to get away with the draw. I didn't think we were very fluid. I didn't think we created very much. And I thought they were the better team. I think it's going to be a tricky game. Uh, if it, if it's a similar game, we'll I'd, I'd, I'd take a draw now. I remember my takeaway from, from that game was it felt like um, Critchley kind of knew something about us, knew how to play us, knew what would be the, the buttons, right buttons to push against us. And it, it did really work quite well for them. So, Yeah, um, it did seem to start off a bit of a run, but they've been a bit indifferent recently. But they did get a pretty good result yesterday, didn't they, Russ? Yeah, very good result. 3-0 uh, away at Charlton. Uh, they had a red card in the 48th minute and then our friend Chuck Zanike got sent off, but that was after all the goals had gone in already. They've got... They were playing a 4-4-2 and they've got two very dangerous st- strikers in Ellis Sims and uh, Jerry Yates, which we know about from when he played for Swindon last year. So I think it's going to be a tricky game for uh, Beckles and Wood. So they are mid-table. They do have a few more games in hand over Crew and a lot of other teams around us and slightly above us. Tim, could this be the first contender for uh, two teams on the beach or am I not being fair there? Um, you might have gone a little bit early with that one, although the beach is quite nearby for this particular fixture. There you go. You've got it. Um, <laughs> right, I'm done, guys. Now I've got that little one in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just like the first game, I spoke to the guys at the Up the Mighty Pool podcast to get their take. Okay, so I'm joined now by Daniel from the Up the Mighty Pool podcast. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Cheers, thanks for having me on. Um, so the last time we spoke, Daniel, was uh, just before the 1-1 draw at Gresty Road. Did you watch that game? What was the Blackpool view of the game? Yeah, if I remember rightly, uh, in the October game, um, Blackpool fans were a bit up and down. I think we, were, we had a great start to the season and um, we were hoping to sort of get back to winning ways and, and kick on really from here. But um, it just ended up in a 1-1 draw. Yeah, um, I remember um, when we had you guys on, my recollection was that you were a bit down on the team, a bit down on Neil Critchley. You hadn't really sort of managed to be as successful as I think he, maybe he would have liked or maybe you guys would have liked. Has that changed now? Has he been given the time to implement his style? Are you seeing positive things now? Yeah, I think... It's massively changed on a 180 almost. Um, at the start, results weren't there. Um, a lot of people were, or some people were calling for his head, which is a bit of a joke. Um, and 
yeah, we were just basically, things weren't working out. There was a lot of changes. Obviously, we had 17 changes at the start of the season. When new players um, were adapting to his style still, there were some players that were from, bought from, acquired from League Two. And maybe we thought potentially, are, are they going to be able to cut it or not? And from since then, the answer to that is yes, they have been able to. Um, the playing style now is fantastic. We've got strength in depth. Um, we've actually got, I think it's like two, we've had two or three centre-back injuries um, where people just keep coming in and doing a job and our clean sheets keep growing. So yeah, really positive now. Um, everyone's on board with Critch, which is great. And um, I think a few people might be feeling a bit silly from some of the comments they had earlier in the season. So um, has anything changed really in the playing style or in the players we should be expecting to see? You've obviously just mentioned the players playing at the back. Um, is it a change team in general from the team in October or not really? Probably. I think, if I remember rightly, it's been a long time. We've got a few formation switches, um, just figuring out who our best players was. And I think that's part of the issue um, which Critch faced was that he didn't really know what formation he wanted to go with. We did start off with 4-3-3. Now it's gone to more of a 4-4-2. Um, we have sort of attacking depth in both our left back and right back who always get involved in the attack, which is great. Um, we had a bit of inconsistency with our striking duo We've started firing now. So yeah, it's uh, really positive to be honest. We've got a lot of um, the midfield players that have come in um, are really solid in that, in that mid and that center of the park. And I think that was a bit of something we lacked at the start. So we lacked a bit of physicality. We didn't really, understand in my opinion our jobs in terms of our each individual roles but now we've got a clear identity we've got a clear system of how we want to play we had one outlet which is cj hamilton since he's got injured um he's actually returning soon since he's got injured we've been yeah we've had to figure out a real identity and not just go to one player all the time and that's helped us so much so since we're not relying on him anymore um we do look a real real part so Fairly similar position to Crew in the table, although I did notice you've got a few more games in hand to, than Crew. Um, where does this season end for Blackpool? Do you think is it playoffs? Is it mid-table? What would you be happy with, and what's realistic to expect? The expectations were always playoffs, always. Um, so anything outside that would be frustrating. Uh, after the start we had, I was really pessimistic. I was, I was literally suggesting we'd have a tenth place. Um, finish that's where I was assuming we'd finish up well recently we've managed to say what we're going to do which is put a string of wins together and obviously you mentioned there we had a few games in hand as well so because of that I'm actually backing us two games to the playoffs so I'm going to be move away from my sort of pessimistic realistic 10th position which I'd be happy with to be honest if that's where it was uh, because of the sort of chemistry and the linking up play which we needed uh, needed that season just to bed um, but since that um, recent run I've mentioned I do think we'll go on now and kick off kick into the playoffs sure you're predicting then I'm going to ask you for a score in a set but you're going to predict a pretty tough game for crew up on the coast on Tuesday night then yeah absolutely just because the momentum's with Blackpool um, five out of the last six games have won uh, been a lot of clean sheets clean sheet again against Charlton uh, yesterday uh, really convincing 3-0 win Um the players that we've got in, even like the, the young lad on loan from Everton, um, Ellis Sims has been has been great. He showed us what he's about yesterday, um, which is fantastic. Jerry Yates is firing. We've got a lot of players out actually, so 
it'll be interesting to see if some of them are available for selection and if they come back or if we continue to stick with um, the team that's been doing so well recently. But yeah, it's going to be definitely a tough, tough night for the crew, crew guys. Okay, so before I let you go then, can I get a score prediction for the game? Yeah, I'm going to go with a 2-1 win. I think it's going to be a close win. It's not, it's not going to be a rollover job, I don't think at all. Um, but I do think that Blackpool will edge this one just because the momentum's with them. Um, yeah, it's going to, yeah. I, I was thinking about doing a draw, but I'm going to go with a 2-1 Blackpool and I'm going to be positive. Okay, thank you. Uh, and thank you for coming back on, Daniel. Yeah, no worries. Great to, great to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Next up then, after Blackpool, is a team we've already lost twice to at home this season. They currently sit in second place. It's our first visit to their place this season. It's Lincoln. Aaron, are you holding out much hopes for this one on Saturday? No, in a word. Um, I really, especially from the, the two previous games, they've shown that they know exactly how to play against us. We seem to be much worse away from home, especially at the minute. Um, all signs are kind of pointing down a little bit for me. Russ, I don't know if you agree. I thought the league game, especially not so much the League Cup game, but the league game, they were the best team that I've seen this season. Yeah, they were very good. Very, very good. Um, they were one of those teams that were like top, weren't they, when we played them and then we played top the next week and then the next week or whatever it was. Uh, they, they, I would I have to agree. They were the best team that I've seen this season. How much of that, Tim, do you put down to the manager and him organising them and getting them to do what their jobs are and knowing what they should be doing all the time? Yeah, I, I think we said after that game that they looked the most organised team. They didn't press us all the time, but when they did, they all went together and they pressed us really high and we really struggled to get through that press. Um, and Appleton's a brilliant manager. Um, you know, he did, he did a great job with Oxford and he seems to be doing a great job with them. And that, like you said, they were the best team I think we've played this season and it's no surprise that they're right up there. The form does seem to have tailed off a little bit recently, um, so maybe that gives us a little bit of a of a hope. Um, look, if, if we get two, two points from the two games, I'd be delighted. If we get three points from the two games, that's even better. Um, so I'm not, I'm not expecting much, but you never know. We, if we play like we played against Sunderland, we could beat both of them. Yeah, I mean, like you say, they're a bit indifferent. They lost to Plymouth on Saturday, 4-3. And as we know, they're not amazing, are they, Plymouth? I don't think anyone would be upset to hear that. But they have, they are obviously pleased with Appleton because he has just signed a new contract, I think, four or five years, which is unheard of at this level normally. I've got a really nonsense point to make. Um, in Lincoln's last match and Blackpool's last match, uh, between them, they've scored four penalties. And I think we can be quite clumsy at the back. So um, let's not give any penalties away. Fair enough. Good, good bit of advice generally, I find. Yeah, typically, <laughs> it is quite, quite helpful, isn't it? Is that the sort of advice you give to your defence when you're in goal there, Russ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They have given a penalty away and I did save it. So, But this is months ago. About, about a year ago, to be fair. So we welcome back Gary from the Stacey West podcast for what is his hat-trick appearance. So we've got Gary back from the Stacey West podcast. Hiya, Gary. Back onto the pod for the third time. Yeah, I'm almost like a regular slot that I've got, <laughs> isn't it? So, uh, no, it's always always a pleasure. It's nice to be here. 
Yeah, I'm afraid the budget doesn't quite stretch to a hat-trick ball like you at Soccer AM or anything like that. But yeah, always great having you back on. Now, the last time we spoke was before the game at Gresty Road. Lincoln came. I'm fairly sure you were top of the league at that point and uh, you were fairly optimistic and rightly so, as it turns out. Um, we, or I'm certainly of the opinion that Lincoln were the best team that I've seen so far this season, that game um, in the league. Was that performance the norm? Were you guys impressed or was that sort of what you'd expect at that point? It was one of our best performances. Um, we do a rating system on the site for fans afterwards and it still stands out as one of the best performances of the season. Um, I think that we uh, we attacked with real pace, um, with real clarity. But what we didn't have then that we do have now was a certain clinical edge in front of goal as well. And I'll contradict myself on another question later on with that. I, I know I will. Um, but, I, you know... I, I felt that we probably just lacked the killer touch. I mean, I think we scored one in a game that realistically we probably should have been three up at half time. I also think there was an element, um, having watched you guys on a couple of occasions, of you absolutely not being at your best. And I think at that stage of the season, um, if we were meeting teams who were not at their best, then we were we were always likely to to win the game. So it was certainly one that stood out for for many reasons for me, um, and it, it was a it was a decent win. Since then, uh, you're still in the promotion places, not top anymore, second at the moment behind Peterborough. Um, so it's all still going relatively well for you guys. But then, I mean, yesterday, what happened down in Plymouth? Was that a, was that a one-off or are you worried? Um, I'm worried because our squad is decimated by injuries. Um, we're losing so many key players and it's getting to a point now where the, the players that have been filling in who have been doing well are not doing quite as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of XG and I know that's going to split people's opinion as soon as they hear those two letters. Um, but XG yesterday, we were 2.47 and Plymouth were 1.5 and yet they scored four goals. Um, they had five shots on target and scored four times. I'm not saying we dominated the game, um, but from the 13th minute to the 80th minute, we were utterly fantastic, in my opinion. Uh, but we were two down after 13 minutes and we conceded twice in a mad 10 minutes at the end. So we were shooting ourselves in the foot. But we've lost Liam Bridcut to injury. He's our captain. And he's almost a pivot around which everything um, kind of generates everything that we do goes through him when we play out from the back he, he protects the defense he mops up George Grant plays there um, when Liam's injured he went off injured last night he won't play on Tuesday either so then we've taken our leading scorer out of the team our best centre-back this season has been Joe Walsh he's injured our only recognised striker is Tom Hopper because Callum Morton's injured Harry Anderson who scored against you at uh, Gresty Road a real pacey winger He's injured. We're just dropping like flies. There are others as well who have been doubtful in recent weeks. So we're really down to the bare bones. Um, but what's actually really frustrating is we should have won yesterday. We were the better side over the course of the game. Um, and you've put contrast that with Swindon in midweek. We were absolutely diabolical. Uh, we should have lost against Swindon 4 or 5-2. We couldn't defend. We couldn't attack. We couldn't put passes together. And yet we came away with a point. Football's a cruel mistress, and I've learned this week that it's actually worse to play well and lose than it is to play badly and pick up a point. Yeah, I think um, crew have been very guilty this season of playing well and not getting the results. So I think that's probably uh, something that crew fans listening to that empathise with this season. Um, I was going to ask you if we would see a much-changed team from the team that we saw at Gresty Road, but I think you've already sort of suggested that we will just due to the injuries... 
Um, yeah, I, I, there's also been a certain amount of evolution around the side as well. For instance, James Jones, a player who you know very well, um, has fallen down the pecking order. And it, it's not form related with James Jones. And the same with Lewis Monsma. He was writing the headlines at the beginning of the season. He's fallen down the pecking order as well. They were both affected by uh, COVID over the, sum, over the summer, over the winter rather. Uh, and then when they came back, Michael had replaced them with players who had taken their chance, grasped their chance with with both hands and, and, and were flying. Um, I think we'll probably see James Jones this weekend, almost certainly if Grant's injured because we're running out of, of midfielders. Max Sanders, he's a massive prospect, signed from Brighton and Hove Albion. Really impressed for them in the EFL Cup again. Preston um, earlier in the year was thought to be on the verges of the, the kind of the Brighton first team. How we've signed him, I don't know. Um, but he's yet really to figure. He's, he's probably started one game and had one as a, a substitute because he wasn't quite up to um, match fitness, but he's likely to play as well. So in actual fact, there will be some familiarity around the side. Lewis Monsma, for instance, will play, but in the interim period, he's dropped out. I mean, we were sensational over Christmas without Lewis Monsma. Um, and the two signings that we made in January are likely to play as well, although Cohen Bramble, bless him, is a great left-back, but at the moment, I don't see how he... Uh, I can't see him defending, unfortunately. Um, but Regan Paul's a really good lad as well. Uh, we tend to rotate the fullbacks a little bit. Um, so we've got Regan Paul and TJ Omer on the right, and we've got Cohen Bramble and Teo Eden on the left. Likely that we might see Aoma and Bramble because Paul and Eden started. Um, but we shall see. We shall depends who's fit, really. Okay, so um, I've got a couple of questions for you, Gary, before I let you go. Uh, one, the first one is, you must be confident where this season's going to end up with Lincoln. You know, you've not really been out of the two top two all season. You've got games in hand over Hull, who are third. You must be confident that you're going up to the championship. No, uh, not at all. I think over the last five years, we've been on such a fantastic trajectory. But every time that we've been promoted or we've done well, it's almost expected, and that's not arrogant, but when we were in the National League, you know, we knew we were a bigger side than Boreham Wood, than Bromley, than Salisbury, than the Village Green or, or whatever. We knew we were bigger than those teams, so we expected to be there. In some way, that almost took pressure off, and I know that sounds silly. This season, we're suddenly competing against Ipswich and Sunderland and, and Portsmouth and, and big clubs, and I won't say Peterborough because you know, Peterborough are not a, a massive club with, with the greatest of respect. But because we've overachieved and got where we are, it all it feels like the bubble's going to burst. You know, it, we don't expect to be where we are, so it's almost like we're cherishing it a lot more. Recent form has really worried me. I think if you look at the form table, we're probably 14th or 15th in the table. And um, we have had some tough games. You know, we, we've we've played away at Hull. We've obviously played Doncaster recently. Um, we did beat Wigan yesterday at Plymouth. There, there, I think in the the top three in terms of home form. Um, but with the injuries as well, there is a, just a worry. We, we need desperately to get back on the horse. We need six points uh, from Fleetwood and yourselves. Um, we do have, if you look at kind of points per game against teams that you've got left to play, we've got the easiest run in of everybody in the top six. But what's an easy run in in this division? Now, Burton have got probably fewer points per game um, than most teams, but nobody would want to come up against Burton at the moment. So I, I just, I, I think probably. After our game has concluded, I'll have a much clearer idea of whether I feel confident or not, because it's a huge, huge week in terms of our championship promotion credentials. One last thing before I let you go, Gary. Can I get a prediction for Saturday's game? You can. Uh, I've actually got a bit of a reputation. I do match day live for the club. 
uh, and I've predicted every game right, I think, over the last six weeks, bar one, uh, in some instances, even getting the correct score. So I don't say anything other than a Lincoln win. Uh, <laughs> I do think that we'll take six points from the next two games, even though I'm, I'm kind of not, I'm not confident, but I think it will happen. So I'm going to go for, um, I'm actually going to go for 3-2 because we can't defend for Toffee. Okay, thank you for coming back on, Gary. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Right, uh, prediction time then. Uh, we didn't have a lot of change last week. Neil and Alex both got one result correct each. Steve got his win and his draw the wrong way round, so no points for him. So Alex is still third. Steve is still safely in the middle of the pack and Neil has moved up to joint bottom along with James. I'll remind you three where you guys are. Tim, you're currently second with 0.88, only behind Steve Hatton. Russ and Aaron, you're both fairly in the middle. Uh, Russ, you're on 0.66. Aaron, you are on 0.55. So, Tim, I'll start with you. Blackpool away, what are your thoughts? I think it's going to be a, a bit of a come down after... A superb performance against Sunderland, and I think we're going to get B2 now. Okay, Russ. I think I'll be pessimistic, but not as pessimistic as that, and I'll go uh, a 1 1 draw. Okay, and then Aaron. I also think I think 1 1 draw is probably about the right for me as well. Okay, so then Aaron, I'll come straight back to you Saturday away at Lincoln. Okay, so I like to keep with my rule of generally not predicting that we're going to lose. So I'll have to say 2-2 on that one. Could that be why we're near, you're near the bottom of the yes. table? Yes, could very well be, yeah. No, I think that's a little bit harsh on you and on crew, to be fair. Russ, Lincoln away. 1-0 um, defeat. And Tim, finish off the predictions. In scenes reminiscent of my 40th birthday weekend away at Lincoln three years ago, we're going to go there and cause an upset with a 4-1 win. <laughs> Fair enough. I like the optimism. Right. Um, we've got a couple of extra bits then before we finish for today. Uh, we've talked about him already. Mika Mandron got himself a new contract to the end of next season this week. Uh, are we all broadly in favour of this? Yes. I'm happy with it. He seems delighted with it. He said all the right things in the uh, in the presser as well, saying about how he feels like he's improved as a player and will continue to improve as a player. And that as a player that isn't of the mould of a player that comes from our academy, that's a very good thing for future recruitment as well, I think. If he's saying that, then other players might think, oh yeah, they don't just care about their own academy players. They'll improve me as well. Tim Aaron, agree with that? I think he's been absolutely superb. If he talked away a few more of the chances he's had, he'd be worth 10 million and he wouldn't be here next season. Uh, absolutely brilliant sounding. His attitude's great. His hold-up play is a definite improvement on Porter from last season. And it, it, all-round energy and uh, physique that he brings to our attacks is exactly what we need. Uh, the only thing I'd say is, why isn't it two or three years? But what, one, a one-year extension is better than nothing. Yeah, I'd say uh, if, he, if he had tucked away a few more of his chances, um, he'd probably have at least one more pair of shoes. Um, but... Yeah, I think, and since then as well, he seems to have turned into a bit of an assist machine for us as well. So um, I'm very happy with it. Boxing Day's his last goal, which, you know, that is the concern, isn't it? Because we're at the end of February now. Goals are, are obviously the most important thing for him, but three assists in a week 
is also quite good. Four in three as well, the Swindon game as well. There you go. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think, yeah, I agree. I'm massive. I'm a big fan of Mika Mandron. Uh, I just wish he'd score a few more goals. But, you know, you can't have everything. He does everything else really well. Russ, you are going to take over now with a little bit of an update from the Fan Hub uh, <laughs> app and from the Fan Hub people. Okay, yeah. So the Fan Hub app was released in the last few days. And as we are affiliated with them, that means you can find this podcast in the fan content section, along with uh, my Man On blogs and other relevant blogs and pods uh, created by the Fan Hub team. If you'd already signed up for the early access, then you should have access to the app right now. Otherwise, you can download it and join the queue, which will be going down soon. Uh, our very own Steve Hatton is in the queue at the very minute. He's like, 500 and something i think uh, on the app you can predict lineups i got a uh, nine out of 11 for this week's games pesky artel randomly starting two target men why is he doing that i mean it worked so keep doing that but didn't help me uh and then tim convinced me that uh donny danny as i'm going to call him donovan donovan daniels donny danny uh he can't start two games according to tim um but he did. So cheers for that. Uh, checking in at games and reading fan content also increases your fan rating, which then puts you on a leaderboard. So let's have a look at the top three on the Coralix leaderboard at the moment. Joint top is our very own Tim Robinson with a rating of 49.55. He's currently celebrating on Zoom call. Uh, and Matt Owen with, um, well, th- the same. Then up in third is uh, Julie Warren with a rating of 47.27. I should say, your fan rating is based on an average of each week's scores so just because you're uh, not actually on the app yet it doesn't mean you're going to be any worse off when you do get access i've had it because i've been writing for fan hub i've had it for a few weeks but i'm now ninth um tim and Stu have had it for uh, one week but they're well Stu's ninth. Stu's yeah i'm not sure how long i'm supposed to have had it because i'm second bottom out of all the crew fans and i feel like i might have not done it for the last few weeks i don't know it's confused me, but I'm sure think, I'll figure it out. I think you've meant to have been on it for a few weeks, yeah. but you just haven't. Um, yeah. Tim obviously got it got it um, uh, this week. So with his rating of 49, if he has a worse week, his rating will come down a little bit. And who knows, Stuart, if you absolutely smash it this week, you'll be right up by the top. Um, the leaderboard will obviously keep growing as people join. And remember, your rating can go up and down. So uh, we'll check back in with it soon, see how the leaderboard has changed. Back to you, Stuart. Just thought, thought I was on the news there. Thanks, Russ. You're welcome. Right. Thank you, Russ. Um, some more news that's hit us this week, come out of the news that's hopefully positive as well, is there's a possibility that people might be back in the grounds before the end of the season. I'm not going to spend too long discussing this because I feel like we've talked about it quite a few times and it's all possibility that it might change. But that's positive and let's hope that happens, don't we? I think we're all in favour of that. Yep. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of nodding in the uh, in the call, but um, I mean, it's something to put your, hat on, put your hat on, something to hope for, but you never know with this government and the way this country works, it could be pushed back and for a little bit. But um, if we all stick to the project, then we'll get there. I think it's looking unlikely that we'll get back to see any crew games this season. I think the season's due to finish a couple of weeks before they're going to let fans back in. However, I think there's every chance that you might be able to go and see some local non-league teams before the end of the season, the ones where the, the games are still going. And I'd heartily encourage everyone to go and see whoever your local, um, you know, West Cheshire or whoever league teams are, because they, they very much need our support at the moment. Sandbach United and uh, Nantwich Town, quick little shout out there. 
So one other thing that we should talk about then, it's quite exciting. It's been a little while since our last ex-player pod. Probably time for us to get another one out there. So this Thursday, it's going to be our episode, uh, I'm pleased to announce, with Matt Tootle. Aaron and Tim, you were both in on this one. I've said, I feel like I've said this most of the time, but this one really does feel like one you shouldn't be missing, doesn't it, guys? Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, we, I was sat in on it and I really enjoyed the chat and now actually really looking forward to it coming out so I can listen to it all over again. I think one of the things we've we've come to work out as relative novices at this is that sometimes when you get a, a player on, you have to work quite hard to get some answers to questions. And this one was not very hard at all. Um, I would say it was hard to get a word in. Yeah. <laughs> like at one yeah, point I had to ask a question just to let people know I was still there. <laughs> yeah, he was very, very forthcoming and um, very open. And I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I wrote down uh, that he talked to us, but I think it's probably more like he talked at us for over two hours. Uh, nothing was off limits. We talked about his time at crew. We talked about the depression that he suffered. We talked about his departure from the club and how he felt about that and also his gambling addiction. So as I said, I do say this every time because I do genuinely believe that people should listen to these podcasts, but this one is one to not be missed for other than Crew Alex reasons as well. It's quite an important chat, I believe, that we had. There's one little last thing from me for today. Uh, It's about our draw. Now, obviously, we've got one of our winners on this podcast, Aaron. He's the only person I've spoken to yet. So Richard Sandland and Joanna Higginson, if you are still listening, please get in touch with me because... I want to give you your prizes. So yeah, please get in touch on uh, Twitter, Facebook, however you want to get in touch with me and let me know how best to go about that. Okay, that will do us for today. Um, Tim, Russ and Aaron, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you as ever for listening. Until Thursday and our Matt Tootle episode, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, bloom.